everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chong. Hey everyone, I hope you're well wherever you are. I've been feeling quite busy these past few days. Um, everything seems to be moving way too fast. Maybe I'm just getting old. But the first week of school felt intense and I'm already preparing for the following weeks. I'm also working on my own videos and just trying to find as much time as I can to do all these different things. I'm also keeping up with learning Chinese, so... So yeah, um, but anyway, for today, I have Shapiro Chirk, an ink painter and installation artist interested in ways of knowing through the body and how these modes of knowledge reflect or internalize external experiences. Shapira got her BA at UC Riverside and an MFA at Cal State Bernardino. Shapira is currently teaching at UNLV, where she has found a welcoming art community. I was connected to Shapira through the Rogers Artloff residency, which I was part of this past July, and was glad to have learned about her practice. We also talk about her moving to Hawaii from Hong Kong at a young age, Shapira hiding her art career from her parents early on, working in a collaborative project, and our unexpected connection with Zhuhai and the Shoshana Wing Gallery. Hopefully we'll meet in Las Vegas sometime in the future, but in the meantime, stay safe and healthy, and I hope you enjoy this. Actually, um, it's from Zhihoi, where you are right now. That's where really? my dad is from. Yeah. Really? <laughs> really, uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I was reading your email, I'm like, I know where that is. I've been there a bunch of times. <laughs> Um, really? So yeah. So I was like, "What are the odds?" When when was the last time you visited Duhoi? It's been a long time. Um, when I still lived in Hong Kong, so I probably was like nine or ten. Wow. Yeah, twenty twenty plus years ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now there's now there's like a direct highway from Hong Kong to Duhoi. Yeah, I remember like we would take a ferry and then yeah. the bus ride would be an hour. And then mm -hmm. where my dad was from, like his village, um, where we stayed, it was the only house in the village that had electricity. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, a different world. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, how, how's your um, day then? It's uh, 4, 4 p.m.? You yeah, yeah. Been productive. Yes, I'm going on a trip to Seattle tomorrow, so I'm just trying to like get everything settled, done. Are you flying you know? or driving? Flying. Okay. All right. Well, be safe. Thank you. So I guess we have the Duohoi connection. I didn't. I didn't know about mm -hmm. that, but we had one other connection where I think we probably walked past each other at one point. What? <laughs> I because I was looking. I was looking through your your background. And uh -huh. you were part of the show at uh, the Shoshana Wayne Gallery, the uh, chain mail letters. Oh yeah! And, oh my and, god! And Santa Monica, and I was I was actually part of that show as well. So we probably were there in line, 
uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that huge ass line to keep art works, and then the opening, which was like this weird shit show of an art show, but I I forgot even what I submitted. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask like, what did you what did you submit? What did you hold through that long ass line? <laughs> This was before I went to grad school, and this was sort of like actually my first piece of work, like after not doing work from undergrad for a few years. So, mm-hmm. in my head, I don't even have documentation. I think I like had a recording of something, and then I put it in the box, and it was supposed to be about like you can't see what's inside the box, and the recording is referring to that. But I I don't remember anything beyond that. <laughs> what about you? What did you show at that show? Um, I, I feel like <laughs> very very similar. Like out of undergrad before grad school, I wasn't you know really making work. Um, yeah. I made these like polymer no they're air dry clay, and I just made like a bunch of boobs and I paint them different colors and I put them in a box so they look like candies. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems appropriate for that time for me. Yeah, yeah. For the, for the listeners out there, this was like an open call show. So, yeah. So yeah. So um. So I guess were you were you born in Hong Kong? Yeah. So I was born in Hong Kong, and we immigrated when I was ten to Honolulu of all places. Okay. Um. And for like a while, I was like, "This is what America is like," <laughs> which is not true. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, and then we moved to Southern California, uh-huh. went to undergrad at uh, UC Riverside, and then mm-hmm. took a long, long time off. And then I went to grad school at Cal State San Bernardino. And then three years ago, my now husband got a tenure track position in Vegas. So I was like, okay, we have to move. That's how I ended up in Vegas. Yeah, you. Just, I just saw on Instagram, you got married a few weeks ago, right? Or yes, is that an old yes. picture? Okay, yeah, yeah, congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. We had to get married because uh, my pancreas kind of stopped working, so <laughs> it's, so it's not fun. The program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Life sucks in the U.S. <laughs> uh, what was, and so what was that transition like? I assume that must have been a really crazy transition from Hong Kong to Honolulu and then to Southern California. Yes, it was. Everything in Honolulu back in like late 90s mm-hmm. was just really slow it was before the internet and <laughs> Which, every unlike, like everything is yeah everything is like 20 years behind like in my mind was like if these fashions <laughs> yeah. are like 20 years backward and and I was a teenager so it was yeah. like really frustrating yeah everything was just so slow and I just thought America was backwards but you know Hawaii is obviously not like that anymore but it was a, a big adjustment and I kept calling where I lived, which it was an, uh, an apartment building, I would say, oh, I live in a house. And my teacher would correct me like, that's not a house, that's an apartment. And I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. understand the difference. That's where you live. So, so just like, yeah, even geologically, <laughs> it was so different. And it was like one of the first, like in, in Zhuhai, like you could see stars, but I never appreciated them because I was just like inside playing like video games but then in Hawaii there was like nothing to do and that's like oh there there are stars I I don't understand why there's so many here um but you know it was so bright in Hong Kong anyways yeah yeah you can't see any stars in Hong Kong were you spending a lot of your time drawing painting or you're just playing video games when you were in Honolulu 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. All the time I spent was drawing and painting. Yeah. Yes, all of it and swimming. It was one of those places where there wasn't that big of a immigrant community,、mm. so the adjustment was really difficult. And I think I was only one of two students in my elementary school where we had to. Take like additional like English learner classes. There was just no <laughs> no support in that way.、Yeah. There was a Chinatown, obviously, but you know, not kids my age. There, nobody really understood what I was going through. It was like a different different、um, generation, right? Yeah, yeah,、um, totally. Yeah, actually, a lot of people from Zhuhai is there. That's why my dad picked really that place <laughs> to immigrate. Yeah,、um, I still can't believe、yeah. that you've been to Zhuhai, but yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes,、uh, yeah. So that definitely forced me to kind of spend a lot of time by myself. Yeah. What did your parents feel about your your art making? Was it sort of like, oh, that's just something that、um, you're using、mm -hmm. to like kind of spend the time, or they were like, or were you like really were they concerned that like you know you weren't spending enough time on your academics? Oh yeah.、Um, it was the only thing I was good at. Even when I was in school in Hong Kong, I was bad at everything. So they were really concerned that、I'm, I wasn't even going to test into like a、uh, university.、Yeah. I still like that here. Yeah, that education system is just not very conducive to like a lot of people's learning style.、Yeah. So I was like very clearly branded as like. The stupid kid, the dumb、oh. kid, and like, and it was like art was like the only thing I could actually do and perform in that way.、Um, I actually never told my mom and dad that I studied art in, in undergrad. undergrad. Really? Yeah, yeah.、Wow. And here's the story. So I was under the impression that they would just disown me just、uh -huh. completely. And my dad's, you know, from Zhuhai, he like didn't even finish. I don't know. He said there's no school level. You just went to learn how to read and write, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And my mom didn't finish high school either, so you know it was a big deal that I was in、yeah. college. <laughs> so I was really scared, and I didn't want to tell them. I told them I was studying accounting the whole four and a half years that I was in school. That's a long lie. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. But、um, they had moved back to Hong Kong by then, so they weren't、uh, local. So yeah, but it yeah, was yeah. easy to not. You know, talk about it. Plus, yeah, yeah. they didn't email, or you know, it was still that time where we didn't. They didn't have like cell yeah, phones, yeah, 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 and can text you. You know, yeah, yeah, it like right away. But so I, I kept the lie up, and then I was graduating. Obviously, I'm like the first in the family, so they flew from Hong Kong, <laughs> and they also brought my aunts and my cousins、oh、my from、God. Hong Kong to see me walk, and then I had family in the UK, and they came out. So I was like, okay, I have to tell them because they're here for the graduation. And I was really terrified.、Oh、and they were staying with my uncle about an hour away, and they were coming separately. I was yeah, standing yeah. next to the stage to walk up to get my diploma. Yeah,、um, yeah. and they. They announce which school, which major these students,、mm -hmm. these graduates are. They announce it, and I'm looking. I'm like, I don't see them. I don't know where they are. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I didn't. You know, they don't text. And then I'm walking up, and I give my little name card to the announcer. They read my name, and then I see my entire family coming down, and、uh -huh. <laughs> walking in. So they were totally late. And they miss where, like, which graduates these were during the graduation. So, 
the lie kind of continued even after my graduation. They know now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like <laughs> six months after they're like, why aren't you a CPA yet? I'm like, yeah. So that's my story. <laughs> that's crazy. And I assume California, moving to California was a little easier since there, there's like an enormous uh, Asian population, right? Lots of immigrants, lots of different types of people from Asia and with similar lived experiences as yours, right? It was a little shocking to have to make that adjustment again. Yeah. Because I, I didn't know that people had the same experience. And then I, yeah. I realized, oh, my experience immigrating to Honolulu was really different and not... Like I had internalized that, but I didn't understand that like other people had the same experience somewhere else. I just thought it was yeah. just all me. Were you, regarding your own work, I mean, I can totally see all this traveling, all these ideas of home, especially, you know, as you're talking about when you were talking with the teacher and kind of like trying to figure out the difference between a home and an apartment, um, mm -hmm. you know, and your, yourself in relationship to your space, how that kind of intersects with your own work, right? I think you, you, you talk about how a lot of your own work deals with the body as, as well and these sort of relationships that happen. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about how your work kind of incorporated that as you became an artist? Because uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if it started from the, from the beginning, but for me, it took me a long time to kind of meld these ideas of what I was feeling with what actually I was doing together. Yeah, totally. During grad school, what I learned was I need to make the work first and then figure out what it's about later. <laughs> yeah. Because if I approach it super conceptually, I'm going to lay yeah. out this plan. It's just not that good. And like, to me, it always comes out like it's not as authentic mm. as me making because I realized because I had that language barrier. Mm. Um, when I immigrated, I was expressing and, and learning to express myself and communicate through my work. Right. And I kind of internalized that as like, I am experiencing through my body and speaking through the stuff that I make instead of through language. And I think mm -hmm. that definitely incorporates into my work. Like all of it, it's about, here's what I learned through my body. Mm. And then later I'll be able to put it into words for you. Mm, yeah. And so were you doing Sumi art uh, or Sumi painting all the way through grad school or did you pick it up at some point? Um, I started doing that when we would. So my dad kind of never immigrated. It was just us mm. and my mother. So in the summers, we would go back to visit him in Hong Kong and then I would take these art classes and that's where I started Zoomy. Uh, okay. And then you did that throughout undergrad and, and grad school as well? No, actually, I did not do that in undergrad. I don't know what happened that made me take out some old, you know, like if the ink yeah, is yeah. good forever and it just stays in like your pile of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think one day I just, I it was very early, maybe right before I started grad school, I, I picked it up and like, I guess I'll start playing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know I know that feel. I probably have some Sumi ink somewhere lying in my closet somewhere. Um, and yeah, I mean, and I was looking at your trajectory and I think it's, it's quite similar to mine because I graduated in 2008 and then I also graduated from grad school in 2016. And so what did you do between that time of undergrad and grad school? I got like a really serious career with the California state government. Okay. I was a analyst for their disability program. And I really enjoyed that work. It was you know, 
I, I have this thing where I kept trying to quit art, like in undergrad, I tried really, really hard to not pick art as a major. And then I was like, okay, I'll, let me just get this out of my system. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll get a job after I graduate. Cause you just need a degree to get, you know, a job. And that's kind of what happened. And then I was thinking about applying to grad school at the same time I was offered a promotion mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, I should just go to grad school, but then no, I, I took the promotion and I worked. So yeah, just a lot of like, I don't know, a lot of like my parents telling me I should make like the responsible choice over and over <laughs> to be, go to grad school, to be an accountant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Are your parents accountants? No. No, I wasn't going to be a doctor or a lawyer. So accountant seems like the appropriate answer. Yeah, yeah. And were your parents nervous when you were like, okay, I'm going back to grad school for art? My mom was totally for it, but that's because I kept my job. So I I worked full time. Uh, Okay. And it was going to be like another like, oh, I'm going to just do this. And then I'll go back to my career Mm, with the state. I see. And so how was grad school? I mean, I think it seems like grad school was really transformative to you. And I say that in the sense that like, I can tell a lot of the work, you know, especially from the website, you kind of place the work that begins, you know, post-grad school. And you can see there's like a shift that happens. And that was, that was also the same for me as well. And so what was that like? It was the first time. Somebody told me a long time ago that it, you can't call yourself an artist unless that is how you make your money. Okay. And I thought, and I finally unlearned that in grad school. (laughs) Yeah. So it was very transformative as in like, I can exist as these multiple selves. Like I can have, like, I can be an analyst and like crushing all these goals and, and also be like a serious artist that has like a strong practice and, and just like, oh, I can, I can actually do this instead of like, this is my hobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was that your experience as well? Uh, I'm trying to think. No one ever told me that you have to make money from art to be a professional artist. But I think, well, for me, I went to grad school because I felt like I was too young when I went to undergrad and I didn't appreciate what actually was happening, you know? And then I think... So I was like in LA, we were both in LA at the same time, uh, or within the Southern California region. And, you know, I was freelancing for web development. And then I think I was like, I felt like, okay, I I have this down, like I can freelance, I can come back to if I need to. And like you said, I was trying to um, get rid of the itch to make art, or I was like doing other things. And I think at some point, I was like reading on my own and reading you know, art history on my own and, and art interviews on my own. And then I was like, I felt like I was ready to be in a classroom and absorb it in a way that I knew I was not doing in undergrad. Like I knew that distinction. I was like, okay, I was not interested in undergrad. I was not interested in learning. I was not interested in thinking about art in a throat by throwing myself at it. And so I kind of approached grad school kind of like that. I don't think I ever had an idea about making money for art. Cause I, I always felt like I would never be able to not like, <laughs> not like in a negative way, just like I, I realized how hard it was, but I guess we're both professionals now. Cause we, we both teach art and are technically making money off it. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it was a lot less stress to approach a graduate program without the expectation that you're going to, this is how it's going to sustain you financially mm-hmm. and completely Yeah, yeah. teaching now. It just kind of happened. Yeah. So 
it, it's it's good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. So, so after grad school, you um, you were talking about your partner immediately got a tenor job in Las Vegas, and that's what brought you to Las Vegas. So I I was saying like my career with the state was I was very serious about it. Um, when I got a specific position, it was like there's like a career ladder plan flip they give you when you first really? start, and I'm like and I'm like I want to be that, and then that was my job for like I think two two years at that point. And it was, I already got my dream job. And then when he got offered and I'm like, okay, we should move. Cause now I already had mine. You you can, you can have your dream job too. So when I quit that, it was definitely like another turning point in my life. I let go of all that, like other, just like the security blanket of like having to do something else to support you financially, Um, you you know, art. Art isn't something that can support you in that way. But it was like the last security blanket that I like had to fold up very neatly and put away. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think of Las Vegas? You've been here for five years, right? 2016? Three years. Three years. Three years. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's been really awesome. It's the art community here is so different from Southern California. That's like the first thing I was telling folks the first year that I moved, it was really easy to approach people and just talk to them, even like gallery owners. And I can just be like, I can just introduce myself and they would talk to me and like follow me on Instagram versus like, that is not the case in Southern California. You cannot show up in an opening and like just introduce (laughs) yourself to the gallery owner. They'll be like, I don't want to talk to you. Um, I don't know if that's the same experience that you had, but it's very welcoming here. So it's been a really healing experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially in LA area, Santa Monica, that whole area. It's quite, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's quite, what's the word, Uh, you know, trying to be New York. New York yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. I'm nodding. I'm definitely yeah, I'm <laughs> nodding along to everything. I we I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. So so but it's it's such a breath of fresh air. Like people are actually interested in what you're doing and, and want to connect with you and support you. Just I mean, just by talking to you, they're they're kind of supporting yeah. you. So it's been really nice. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit more about the, you know, the work that happened, you know, like did it transform from moving from, you know, Southern California to Las Vegas since your work is dealing so much with the body and space and your body in relationship to space? Sure. Um, the first thing, obviously, like if you're ever in Vegas, there are like billboards <laughs> of like half naked women selling stuff, you know, just yeah. it's very casual. The objectification of bodies yeah. are so casual. My favorite one is that there's this lady that is like in a white bikini. She's laying down and in the back is a golf course and they're selling like come to this golf course. And I'm like, what does the lady have to do with the golf course? Like there are no women in bikini at the golf course. (laughs) And I don't think women play, you know golf and bikinis, but um, the the objectification (laughs) 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 for everyone, white bikinis. Yeah. So it was like just. It, it gets a little cringy for sure. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the first thing that I thought of with the excariotids were a lot of folks here, that's their industry, that's their profession. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of aesthetic labor that goes in that is expected, that is not compensated. Yeah. A lot of hotels here, they call 
they don't call it like interviews or job fair. They call it casting calls. So you come in, you know, you, you're being cast into the role of a waitress. That sounds like LA. Yeah. 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 So you have to look the part, right? Um, But here it's just very, very, very um, unapologetic. Yeah. So that's one of the things I feel like that culture permeates to folks that are not in the service industry as well. That was the first thing I noticed, especially like coming from Orange County, like when I left in 2018, everybody was like Soul Cycle, Lululemon. They had like these gym bodies they were you know were athletic leisure wear that's like the style um versus here it's just completely different and and i feel that that is very specifically because we have the economy of the strip yeah. and like coming from hawaii too it's also a very like tourist centric place but it's it, it doesn't ask folks to look a certain way to work at a restaurant or in vegas um, or honolulu yeah, in Honolulu. So, oh, okay, okay, so okay. it was just like really apparent. So, and it's not like, you know, you come and live in Vegas, you get like a notice that you have to dress this way and look yeah, this yeah. way. Yeah, and yeah. it's, it's very observed. And then, and then you kind of internalize that observation. And I think that's like another thing that I noticed, like being an immigrant, moving to another place, you want to like talk and dress and act like mm-hmm. the people that are there to fit yeah. in. Yeah. I mean, and in that sense, it's sort of funny because the loudness of both LA and more specifically Las Vegas, you know, it's in sharp contrast to, I feel like the, the calm feeling I get, I guess, when I, when I'm looking at your paintings. Oh, thank you. That's good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's sort of how I found out know, what, you know, what was your process for making them? And um, yeah, how, how did that kind of begins? Because I know a lot of your different works, they, they have, like you said, in grad school, you learn to like do first and then conceptualize later. And I, I totally understand that I do that as well. But like for, for you, you know, how do you, after you've done something or started something or begun on what I, what I like to call going on this sort of creative path that you don't know where it takes you, you know, what happens after? How do you sort of then center that conceptually? How do you center that towards a theme um, that interests you? Um, there are always like little niggles as you go through the process. This is what it's been bothering me. This is what I've been obsessing with. And then I kind of look at the work mm-hmm. after it's finished, like, is that what I was trying to say? Or is it something else? And my partner is very supportive. When I kind of have these ideas Mm -hmm. together, then we'll have a bottle of wine and we'll talk it through. Like, maybe, I don't know. I don't don't know if that's what you're doing. But Is he an artist? (laughs) That's what we'll do. Um, Yeah, so... No, he's a he's an English person. English person, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so can you can you like I mean one of the pieces that I um was looking at was Feitian and uh, actually the first thing I was so right now I'm learning my Chinese is really bad, but I'm right now learning, you know, simplified Chinese. And so the first thing I saw for Fei was sort of like the traditional form of, of Fei. And actually I had to like look it up to make sure it was the same one. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, geez, this is like much more complicated than, <laughs> than, than how it's written right now. But yeah, so like, you know, for example, for that that particular piece, you know, what was that process like to, 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 to make that? Yeah, I went to, actually, I went to visit my mom in Hong Kong and she took me to one of the museums and there were like these reproductions of the Feitin, but like they digitized it. So like you go into this room, it will be like this 
dark room with digital display and then there's all these figures that would fly through the air and it really captured my mind i'm like they're just purely decorative bodies um so that one is definitely like i already had a a pretty clear concept of what i wanted to do yeah um Um, and i guess so you know the more recent piece i found how they do how they do Uh uh-huh for that piece, you know, that was also collaborative in a very interesting sort of way. You know, this open call where you ask dancers and you paired them with with these different imagery. Um, and that also dealt with the body and thinking about bodies in different ways. And so, yeah, how, how did that come about? And what was that like to make this open call to all these strangers online? And it seemed like you got like a really great kind of feedback and also people responded really well. Yeah, I was surprised at how many dancers actually contributed videos it started when like I was just it was the beginning of COVID and I was so happy to be home just totally stuck in my house and just like making work and having a lot of time I feel like as artists like we're always trying to scrunch up time to make work like uninterrupted time you have like an hour here or there but that's not enough to like sit down and make the stuff yeah you need a few hours to just clear your mind. Yes, yes. And you, yeah, exactly. You have to like be in a space too, like in the right headspace. So with COVID, it was so easy to compartmentalize my life to have like long stretches of time to make. I was like, oh, this is a great time for artists. And I was like, ah, not all artists. Like there are obviously dancers that yeah. and a lot of performers, especially in Vegas, like there, there are so many shows, a lot of people were unemployed. And that's kind of like how the idea came about. And I was watching just a bunch of dance videos online because mm-hmm. obviously I'm fascinated with like the movement of the body. Um, and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this would work. And yeah, I was so happy that people actually contributed. I was like messaging dancers. And I'm like, do you want to send me a TikTok of you dancing? And, and these are people you didn't know, right? The folks that have submitted are, I only know one person. So everybody else were strangers. So I was really was lucky. There, is, was there a dialogue, ongoing dialogue as you, know, you got their videos and then you also made made the final, final piece? And, you know, was there a sort of response? What, you know, what, what were people sort of kind of feeling in this? I mean, COVID was sort of like a crazy global crisis where people, you know, were ha- experiencing all these different uh, uncertainties, you know. And then also, I think when I was reading about, you know, your description of the piece, there's also thinking, rethinking about the body in relationship to that, uh, you know, the protests happened with all the black and brown bodies and in relationship to spaces. And so, yeah, what was that sort of the whole thing like? Yeah, it has been very, very well received. And I think it was really nice for the dancers to like, you know, when you are not doing what you're doing, you're not performing, um, you kind of feel lost. And you, it ended in a show in Arizona. So it was like, they were still performing in that sense. So it was really nice that I was able to do that yeah, yeah. Um, in a visual yeah. art form. That makes sense. And I was also curious because I'm so bad at, at collaborating. I, re- I always feel like I need to do everything myself, although I'm slowly letting go. But yeah, and also like this idea of collaboration is one that I'm always thinking about in the sense that like, you know, artists, they always have these egos and and wants. And so when you collaborate with someone, there's always this difficulty of like whose idea ends up being shown and whose idea kind of bubbles to the top. And then also when you're doing it with different disciplines, it also can kind of get complicated in terms of like, 
you know, how do we fit each other's work together, which can both be a beautiful thing, but also be like a, at times feel like a compromise and, and depending on who is, who's collaborating with who. So that's what I was sort of like really interested in, in that whole process. I totally 110% agree with you. Collaborative work. Sometimes I can be very controlling in, in the production is, you know, you spend your whole, your Mm -hmm. little adult life crafting a practice. um, And it's hard to open up for other people. You don't know, you you don't know what they're going to do, but I think part of do was really a good way for me to approach collaborative work because I was pairing the dancers versus, versus, um, you know, another artist painting with me. So I still had control over the image, but, um, I did create a piece with Wendy Quebec, sorry, for an exhibition that Wendy Quebec curated. Um, and I collaborated with JK Russ, who works for the neon museum. She's amazing. She's a collage artist. Uh Um, and that was definitely like, I needed to like, I made the piece. She's going to collage them. I don't know what they're going to look like. So I just have to trust in the process and also be confident in yourself, in your own practice to let go of that ego and let go of that control. But I think the piece turned out amazing. She JK is an amazing artist. You know, one of the things that you kind of touched upon was sort of this idea of like, you have to make, you know, money as an artist to be a professional artist. Now you're teaching as teaching artists at UNLV. So are your, are your parents still concerned? You know, what are their thoughts now that you're a professional (laughs) artist and fully part of this thing that they don't understand? Yeah. So I am essentially an adjunct at UNLV, you know, they renew and they renew. Yeah, and yeah. I also have like a sticker business that does really well. So I make stickers, but I would tell my mom like, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next year. You know, the business might not do well. Yeah. UNLV might not want me anymore. Yeah. I don't know. And, and she would like definitely still like advise me, like you should just find uh, another government job because you, you liked it, you were good at it. But, but I think that comes from just her wanting me to be more secure rather than like not supporting my art practice. Yeah. And what does your dad, what does your dad say? He passed away nine years ago. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. It's, uh, it's a long time, but I think he would be like, wow, my daughter teach at university. That's, that's not what I thought she was going to do. <laughs> yeah. So I guess so. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of that pressure has sort of alleviated in that, in that sense. Right. Like, I mean, for me, it took also a long time. And I think this idea of, like you said, especially for immigrant parents and, and, and Chinese parents, this idea of like teaching at a university somehow holds all this strange cachet no matter what level you're at you're you're a professor right there's this sort of Mm -hmm. status thing that that's attached to it yeah and so I guess you know thinking about moving forward you know what you know what are some of the works that you're working on at the moment um I went on a walking last Thursday it was 111 in Vegas and I walked (laughs) the strip back and forth filming all the fountains um, on the strip so I'm gonna make I'm going to make some work about that. Um, so it's, a vi- it's going to be a video. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to turn out yet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh-huh. It's yeah. But moving to Las Vegas in comparison to practicing art in, in Southern California, it's, it's really 
like I, I think I already mentioned like how different the community is, but like I felt like I can identify as an artist from Las Vegas much more than mm. I identified and when I knew Southern California as like, oh, I'm an artist in Southern California. But like the place here definitely like have like come into my art and like it wants to sleep in and like talk yeah. about being in this place. So I find that very interesting. And I don't think it's just um not just the the very nice folks here, but also like it's a desert and it's such a interesting place. Yeah. I mean it also has an identity. I think of there's this one film that I love. It's called uh have you heard of have you heard of LA Plays Itself? No. It's about like it's under the premise that since Hollywood kind of coincided with the rise of LA there are like two parallel histories that are actually recorded through video, through, 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 you know, the medium of film, right? And so you can kind of see as LA changes, the film changes, and then they keep this sort of feedback loop that happens, right? So this sort of like, you know, downtown LA pre-World War II was sort of like this actual downtown area. And then as it became, you know, people moved out, became the site of like a film noir and detectives and CD people. And then as it became completely destroyed and forgotten by the by the government, it became the site of a lot of like zombie films and sort of like that strange relationship that happens between time and place. And one of the premises of that film is like L.A. doesn't really have a place. It's hard to it's hard to film. Right. Uh, unlike New York, you film a street in New York. OK, that's New York. And I think um, like kind of what you were talking about. Las Vegas has a feel. Yeah. There's a sense of place, no matter how strange that place is, like you said, with neon lights of bikini women on golf courses, like you see that and you're like, okay, this is Vegas versus like LA, which is, it's this like this huge beast that, you know, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Yes. You, you just pull that out of my head. Thank you for, thank you for putting words to, to my uninformed thoughts. But I mean, I got all those thoughts from 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 that movie. Um, yeah. Um, before we sign out, you know, can you um, quickly tell the listeners like where they can find you and keep up with all your work and find out more about your work and see also images since this is like an audio format. Sometimes when we're describing things, it doesn't really do justice to the visual imagery, right? Yes. Uh, my website is just my name, com, And then you can find me on Instagram at Sappy Chuck, S A P P Y C H E U K. That's really cute. Hopefully, it's too bad that I can't. You know, this has to be a virtual residency. But hopefully, in the future, I'll be able to go visit. You know, Las Vegas. You know, I have a bunch of friends there, and yeah, love to meet up in a post-COVID world whenever that is. Yeah, that would be awesome. Take care. Well, I'll, I'll either see you in Vegas or I'll see you in Hong Kong. Cool. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Siwon Chung. Additional help with editing by Tokyo Hong and Mandy Tong. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. 
Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.